It's Thursday, January 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, back from Australia and New Zealand, from Motley Fool Funds, Mr. Bill Barker. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good to be back. <laughs> How jet lagged are you right now? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> we, we're going to talk about your trip because, as, as listener, regular listeners know, we solicited our listeners for advice for uh, things for you to do while you were down under, and and hopefully you took advantage of a couple of a couple of those. But we got to get to the earnings first. We've got paint earnings. We've got tourism earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag, but we're going to start with Comcast. What a fourth quarter! The cable division was up. The theme parks were up. The stock is hitting a new high today. Two for one stock split. They're increasing their dividend fifteen percent. They're just throwing a parade over there at Comcast. It's all going right. And uh, if you loved Comcast uh, before, you love it even more now, especially as a shareholder. Uh, fourth quarter revenue up over nine percent. That's a pretty good number uh, in a market and an economy that's not growing uh, that fast. And uh, earnings earnings per share, sorry, earnings were up ten percent. So. Uh, increasing profitability on top of better than economy level growth in the company. I think if you're if you're going to really scrutinize this quarter and look for any sort of a downside, it would be in the film division. Comcast owns Universal Studios, and yet I, I give them a pass on that just because they had such a tough comp. We, you know, all these businesses were looking. Well, how did they do compared to a year ago? 2015 was a monster year for Universal Studios, so they had a really tough comp in 2016. So it wasn't a bad year for Universal Studios. It just wasn't as good as the. I mean, that was the number one movie studio in 2015. What did they have? 2015. Uh, 2015, you had things like Trainwreck. You had the the Pitch Perfect sequel, which is they're just printing money with Your those kids. Movies. Kids watching that a lot? Uh, not a lot, but plenty of people went to the studio to to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, again, fourth quarter of 2016, not a bad quarter for the film studio, but just not as great as as 2015. Right, and that's a very lumpy number always because. Movies are so hit and miss, and they're a very highly diversified company where the movie division is uh, really a lesser part um, in comparison to the, the cable operations in particular. And people are not cord cutting as quickly as was feared, so the number there continues to be good. The speculation has been that Comcast is going to need to follow. Uh, the same pattern as its competitors, and add some sort of wireless uh, operation so that you get, you know, the sort of foreplay uh, of, of wireless and landline, <clears throat> excuse me, and cable and um, internet. So they haven't done that yet. Their competitors seem to be scrambling uh, more than Comcast. When you look at this stock, which is hitting a new high today, is it expensive or just on a valuation basis? Is this still a reasonably priced stock? Well, I don't know that anything out there is particularly attractive in terms of price on a you know company by company basis. Whenever the market is hitting repeated new highs and things are hitting all time highs, you have to take a pause and evaluate just how much the you know, return you're expecting to make off current investments at at highs is likely to bring. That said, it doesn't look particularly expensive uh, given the success of its operations at the moment. Uh, it's it's involved in 
the areas of life that uh, continue to be utilized by people more and more, and they are diversified enough so that if cord cutting becomes an increasing issue, they're a little bit ahead of the game, uh, given their mm-hmm. their content, uh, you know, divisions and and as you say, the, the film and that there are still things out there that uh, you know are going to be lumpy like that. But you know, ten percent earnings for the the quarter is great. Let's move on to Sherwin Williams, the paint company with the terrible logo, which is pretty ironic God, if you think about it. You're obsessed with their logo. I'm not obsessed. I just like no, to point obsessed. out that it's it's a pretty bad logo. Uh, that's okay though. You know why? Fourth quarter profits and revenue both came in higher than expected. See, some people would consider that the headline, <laughs> not not their logo. Which is not holding them back, despite your thoughts to the contrary. I know. Just imagine how much better they'd be doing if they had an improved logo. But the stock up almost. I tech- can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine how that would help them. Uh, Maybe that's a lack of my imagination, and you you can see a path to increase profitability by a quote unquote better logo. I can't really, but I just <laughs> I just like to needle them. Um, the, the stock, though, I mean, this is this is not some small cap technology startup, and yet shares up almost ten percent today. How good was this quarter? Because it really seems, if you just look at the stock, it really seems like they crushed it. You know what they do is um, they—they—it's just such a smooth growth pattern. And I think that today was the continued confirmation of that. The year-over-year revenue is really only up about four or five percent, but that translates as as you get down to the the bottom, uh, you know, of the the income statement earnings per share to get closer to eight nine percent growth. Compound that year over year over year in a company that is doing a decent job of buying back shares with a little bit of its money, uh, kicking out a little bit of a, a dividend, and you know, growing both organically and uh, through acquisitions. Uh, they're they're just doing a little bit of everything right, improving margins, and that allows you to uh, take a, you know a misstep in one of those places, whether it's the organic, whether it's a an acquisition, whether it's improving margins when you get them all right, it combines and, and you're buying back shares uh, to a really phenomenal number at the bottom. But you don't have to get everything right every quarter uh, to impress shareholders. Can we draw anything from what Sherwin Williams is doing? Can we draw anything to the broader housing and home improvement market, or is this just is that a reach? No, it's it's pretty direct correlation uh, there, uh, you know, uh, of a size, and that is what you're using paint for primarily, right? I mean, I don't know what you're using paint for. Generally, home improvement. And, Generally, uh, home improvement. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and very, very little else. And so when people are moving, selling houses, there's housing turnover. You get a lot of painting done then. As people uh, come in and change colors and and. So it's it's pretty healthy the housing market. There was a number out today. New home sales were disappointing in December, uh, so that might be a little bit of a headwind as mortgage rates have increased uh, post election, and that is highly likely to affect how quickly houses turn over as as mortgages become a little bit harder to afford. Uh, so I, I think that would be a little bit of a headwind, but. You know, at the end of the day, everybody is. Uh, you know, it's just part of the American dream, right? Uh, that's what I've been told. That's much. what we have been told, and <laughs> I don't know. 
So the question, I suppose, for them demographically, is the next generation going to buy into that being the American dream or not? This is, this is kind of like your uh, observations on the diamond market. It's like, as long as we all agree that we have to keep paying diamonds and we have to keep paying two months' salary for an engagement ring. Yeah. I mean, it, it could easily, you can imagine, it's really easy to imagine in a generation that uh, they look back on us and the prices we were willing to pay for diamonds and just laugh. Right? I mean, because it is just a, a, an agreement among people that, oh, yeah, this thing which is not rare. Which has no utility. It, it, I mean, this is one of the diamond market, and what De Beers has done is one of the great all-time stories of demand creation, and you know, supply control. And if you don't buy into, oh, the diamond is more valuable than the thing that looks exactly like a diamond, um, then you can get people to pay a lot of money. But that may all crumble at some point. Whereas there is actual utility in your own space. It's not. Completely, uh, that that the owning a home is the completion of the American dream is not completely a fabrication of the the housing market, the housing you know economy. Uh, however, the, things change, and if people you know get into more of a sharing economy and don't don't feel that uh, they've got to save up to to buy a house and uh, have the same sort of um, you know demographics that you and I and uh, the previous generations are used to, then th- that could affect them over time. Let's move on to Royal Caribbean. Fourth quarter profits rose 25%, and they issued some pretty strong guidance, increased guidance for Q1. Uh, they, they really bumped it up, and the stock is hitting a 52-week high today. Yes. Uh, well, they, this is a pretty economically sensitive Stock and company, and it's a very, uh, you know, um, discretionary purchase of a, a cruise vacation. And as the economy does a little bit better, uh, it translates rather quickly into the performance of this company. Uh, just as when times are going the other way, that their business suffers, and this stock suffered tremendously uh, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, as the you know, discretionary nature of such a vacation became uh, you know obvious, and they've got this huge fleet. And when it's not utilized, as as it wasn't for a period of time, there not utilized to nearly the degree that it needs to be to maintain profitability. Uh, things looked rather dangerous for not just Royal Caribbean but everybody in the space. And boy, has has it rebounded as a stock uh, over the last six seven years. Yeah, I was looking at the five year chart. For Royal Caribbean, and it has just crushed the market. And I'm ballparking here, but last five years up around 225 percent versus the market being up around 75 percent. Yeah. Uh, so this is where operating you know, leverage comes in. As uh, you know, their earnings bottomed out at, at. I'm looking at the numbers now. In 2009, 76 cents a share. They're up to you know nearly six dollars a share now, and the guidance for next year is is well ahead of that. So. That that shows you how well things can go when things are going well, uh, and they don't always go this well. But uh, at the moment, it, it looks very good. It's still a very affordable vacation compared to uh, a, a number of the other options. The strong American dollar makes taking some of these trips uh, that they've got some of their routes are becoming more affordable with the the U.S. dollar. Uh, Cuba potentially opening up is is also an additional. 
thing that people may get excited about. They're a Miami-based company, so adding Cuba into the rotation would be pretty easy for them to do. I'd be up for a trip to Cuba. Exactly. You're ready to book a cruise right now. I'm not necessarily saying a cruise, but uh, I, I'd, I'm interested. Why in not? Cruise. What's wrong with the cruise? Have you have you ever taken one? I have. In fact, the one short cruise I've been on, I think it was like a, a four-day, three-night cruise. It was on Royal Caribbean. It was a very good experience. But it was also one of those experiences where I thought to myself, oh, this is what a cruise is like. I feel like I've checked this box. This I've is- taken one. Yeah. yeah. And so, But actually, they have very high loyalty uh, and very high satisfaction rates compared to other um, vacation experiences. And they're still uh, underpenetrated. I think fewer than 25% of, of American people uh, have taken a cruise, and it's even uh, lower internationally. So, there's a lot of potential growth in the business. They have, uh, so I was just in, maybe we'll cover this, Auckland, New Zealand recently, and their uh, Royal Caribbean's, uh, I think, the Ovation of the Seas, which I believe is the biggest boat out there, was in port, and, and that was news, you know, in, in covered in that day's newspaper. Is that this thing is in port, and, you know, it's worth coming and taking a look at. So, did you see it? I did see it, yeah. Massive, I'm guessing. Yes. I was in a kayak at the time, and it was <laughs> trying to avoid it, which was easy because it was way far away, but you wouldn't want to be hit by one. I was going to say, you better paddle your butt off <laughs> if you're coming up against that thing. Uh, you can email us. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com, and our Twitter handle is at marketfoolery from Sam Muffley, longtime listener in Queens, who writes, Taco Bell strikes again with culinary and marketing innovation. And he included a link to a story about the naked chicken chalupa which is, as some may know, a chalupa shell made of fried chicken. And this is something that Taco Bell is going to be rolling out across America over the next five weeks. And I was talking with uh, producer Dan Boyd right before we started taping. And I said, what do you think of this? He said, I think I'm interested. I think I am, too, actually. Yeah? I think this How interested? Um, Rushed right out? First I, first, I would need to find where a Taco Bell is. But I, I, and I've said this before. In terms of the, you business, live in the United States. There can't be one far away from you. No, there's probably one close by. I just don't know exactly where it is. Um, so Taco Bell is part of Yum Brands, and for for as um, entertaining or disgusting as you may find the naked chicken chalupa, again a chalupa shell made entirely of fried chicken. This is a company that has a pretty darn good track record of moving the bottom line with food innovations like this. So I I would not bet against anything with Taco Bell. I would not I, there's nothing they could come out with that would make me say, "Well, there's no way that's going to work." Nothing. Uh, nothing that they could come out with. <laughs> they're they're you You're trust not, their judgment. I trust their judgment and in, in part because I think they're being one of the things I think that they're doing very smartly, and this is something I'm going to be watching over the next couple of weeks, is um, I saw a quote from uh, Marissa Thalberg, who is the chief marketing officer at Taco Bell, and she was talking about this campaign and how, specifically, they are not going to be advertising during the Super Bowl, and they feel like they can spend their money in better ways in other places. And so they clearly have their own metrics that are going to decide whether or not this just becomes a one-time limited edition. Well, we tried this and it didn't really work. Or if it catches fire, not literally, but if it catches fire, then 
then it becomes an ongoing thing that they offer. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how many companies like this who have advertised on the Super Bowl in the past are looking at the five million dollar price tag for thirty seconds of ad time and going, "No thanks, yeah, we're going to skip this one." Well, given that the Patriots are in there again and everybody's a little <laughs> bored with the whole thing, and I understand they made it through again. They, while yes, I was, while, while you, I was away, while you were down under, they made it through again. Yeah, so that's got to hurt. I can tell you, as as a fan of the New England Patriots. It does not get better. <laughs> Just like as as for your New York Yankees, for various stretches of time in your fandom, it does not get boring. Yeah, but people love the Yankees. That's the that's the difference. <laughs> Just like they love the Patriots, the Yankees don't get caught cheating every couple of years. Ah, we're not going to go there. A uh, couple of housekeeping notes. I mean, Rodriguez did. He gets caught cheating every couple of years. Yeah, there is yeah, that. So there's that. Uh, housekeeping notes. Uh, first, uh, we've got just a few more days left. Uh, where, if you're interested in a an internship this summer, just a couple more days left to apply. So, if you're a college student or you know a college student who might be interested in interning here at the Motley Fool over the summer, go to careers.fool.com and check it out. We're looking for investing interns, tech interns, editorial, anyone who's a writer or editor, careers.fool.com. Podcast uh, interns? Uh, no podcast interns. No, no. podcast interns. No. No. It's, no. Not that, it's not that big a, an operation. Yet. Someday. Who knows? Um, this weekend on Motley Fool Money, um, the guest is Peter Kuhnhart, who's an Emmy Award-winning director. And There's a new documentary that HBO has coming out Monday night, Monday, January 30th, called Becoming Warren Buffett. Uh, uh, so, and I watched it last night. I got an advanced screener of it, and it's it's really, really interesting, and definitely worth watching. So that's this weekend on Motley Fool Money. Uh, and last but not least, um, you can check out past episodes of all of our podcasts. Go to our podcast center, which is just simply podcast.fool.com. That's podcast.fool.com. And uh, while you're there, Rule Breakers, which is David Gardner's um, uh, growth stock investing service, is out with a brand new issue. Two new stock recommendations from David and his team. While you're on the Podcast Center, if you want to kick the tires of that service, you can do that. So go to podcast.fool.com. Okay, the moment we've all been waiting for. A couple of highlights. Define we. <laughs> me and at least two or three of our listeners. You and me. <laughs> uh, a couple of highlights from your trip to Australia and New Zealand. You were down there for a, a court tennis tournament. I was. And yes. it sounds like if if the court tennis team was a public company, the earnings report would be uh, met expectations. Met, met slightly exceeded expectations. Okay. Yes. You didn't uh, win the whole thing. We didn't win the whole thing. We came in th- third out of uh, the world. Okay. <laughs> You're saying uh, 190 countries sent court tennis teams. However to this thing? many countries there are, uh, we came in third okay, out good. of all countries. Nice. There were four who chose to compete. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so, so you got the bronze. We did. We got the bronze. Nice. That didn't come along. We didn't actually get any anything for coming in third, um, other than, you know, the adoration of the world, I suppose. Uh, but the the U.S. Uh, gave Australia a good fight. The the home country um, had uh, all of its players at its disposal, and the U.S. Uh, put up a good fight, and uh, England won the whole thing, which uh, came as no great surprise. They're Good team and uh, defending champs, and 
very tough. Isn't we'll, that where we'll get Cor- in two years? That's where Cortana started. Well, it started in either France or Germany or something. No one, no one really knows. I think because okay. it goes back far enough. The, the evolution of the various handball games into the game of jeu de palme and ultimately court tennis. A couple of our listeners uh, sent suggestions for things you could do while you're in New Zealand and Melbourne. Um, also suggestions on, co- because you were very explicit in terms of what you were going to be needing on this trip, and that is, first and foremost, a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee, which is also something I need, having gotten back from the trip, is a lot of coffee. Uh, and so there's not much difference. But uh, good coffee towns, Auckland and Melbourne, they both show up in like great coffee towns in the world. So uh, I participated in that <laughs> while I was there. Did you bring any back? No, didn't bring any back. No, you can just coffee of the month. It's easy enough now to just get coffee, whatever coffee you want from anywhere. Um, so I didn't bring any back, but uh, I had a lot while I was there. Any any highlight in terms of something that you did, something that you saw, where you're like, boy, now now that I've been there, I can make this recommendation. Well. I knew New Zealand, everybody was great, New Zealand and Australia. I was just in uh, the cities of Auckland and Melbourne, and so I didn't get out and see the countryside. And definitely, New Zealand is uh, best known for uh, the amazing scenery that is available, particularly on the South Island. And I was uh, in Auckland. So there was some decent scenery there. I took a kayak trip, sunset kayak trip uh, out of Auckland to one of the neighboring volcanic islands. Nice. Uh, it was like 600 years old. The kayak? Uh, no, the island. Oh, okay. I mean, you think of all like everything must be hundreds of thousands and you know millions of years old. But this thing was, you know, six hundred years ago. Six hundred years ago, volcano blows and it's like, volcano, hey, like we're look, creating we got an something island. here. Yeah, like, just like Hawaii. Hawaii's uh, like expanding at the moment. So um, that was good. And I kayaked back in the dark with the city lights to you know guide us back. That was good. And uh, Melbourne, everybody's very friendly. I got to go to the Australian Open while I was there and uh, continue to watch that. Exciting. Got uh, some Americans. Uh, the Venus. The, the Williams. Williams versus Serena Williams uh, rivalry is going to be... Uh, it's been a while since we've had that in a Grand Slam final. Yeah. No one was expecting both of them, in particular uh, Venus, to, to get back. Um, I mean, Serena's been hitting finals for consistently for a long time, but it's nice to see Venus uh, back in a final. I was just happy for the tennis players that it was not ungodly hot, because it seems like uh, the last two or three years, the dominant storyline out of the Australian Open is it's 107 degrees on the court, and people are passing out. Well, it's weird to us, the weather that they have there in the summer in Melbourne, and they get trade winds or whatever, and, and so you'll have it be in the 90s one day, and literally the next day high in the 60s and been then back in the 90s two three days later so when the heat breaks it breaks hard and most of the time i was there it was it was very temperate it's i think it's going to be 101 next monday but the the tournament will be over by then so not our kind of summer but sydney is different so like sydney was hitting record highs i think the whole time that i was there some heat wave that didn't break so uh, you know, like other places, big country and uh, different parts have got very, very different climates. Go get some coffee. I don't have to go far. It's in my right hand. 
Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you.